Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lupiton. This week on the show, one of the preeminent guitar pickers and instrumental adventurers working today, John Stickley. Based in Asheville, North Carolina, John leads one of the most sonically innovative, shreddingly mind-expanding, and confoundingly impossible to categorize acoustic groups, the John Stickley Trio, with fiddle phenom Lindsey Pruitt acting as his space-age solo foil, and the new drummer Hunter Deacon laying down a heavy, dark beat that would seem right at home in a heavy metal show, or a smoky jazz club, or a next-level bluegrass jam after everyone has taken some next-level substances. What I'm trying to say is, I've played shows with these guys, I've watched them in fog-choked nightclubs, and I've watched them picking next to swimming pools, and I've attempted to understand what they do and how they do it, and I give up. It's above my pay grade, far, far above my head in the best way possible. It's the kind of roots music that tears the roots out, sets them on fire, and rolls them up and smokes them to move your mind to a new realm. Okay, how can I say this better? John and his crew managed to be both romantically old-school and aggressively avant-garde. They're playing pure instrumental music, with no words needed, no punchlines to make it more palatable. Is it something you should bring your grandma to? I don't know. How open-minded is your grandma? Would she be into seeing a young Stevie Ray Vaughan playing flat-bit guitar so fast her eyes would cross? Maybe. Interesting enough, despite their defying all bluegrass and folk music norms, it is the bluegrass and jam scene that has embraced John and his trio as one of their own. Chances are, if you've been to a folk fest or a bluegrass fest or a jam fest of any kind in the last five years, especially in around the southeast, you've seen John cutting a wide swath through every stage, sitting in with soul bands and string bands and rock bands alike. If you know me, I'm kind of the opposite of a guitar shredder. I play my beat-up Cherrywood Martin like it's a warhorse bringing me into battle like it's a stringed megaphone to help me tell stories and weave rhymes around the chords. John, he makes the strings tell the stories themselves. No smoke and mirrors, just pure, fast-finger guitar heroics. Now, we recorded this podcast uh, in a bit of a unique setting, so I apologize if the sound isn't pristine. Basically, we had to sneak into a hotel bathroom and lay the mattress up against the door so we could hear ourselves. Um, That's just what you do when you're on the road sometimes. You make it happen. And I've been told that John Stickley and his trio have some singles coming out soon and a new record forthcoming on Organic Records. I can't wait for the madness to come. It's going to be awesome. But enough from me. Here he is now, Mr. John Stickley. Of you in the van on this trip, yeah. You guys yeah. normally have more, 
we, our tour manager bailed at the last moment on this last one. Well, kind of a, kind of a mutual decision not to go on on this run. So it's just the three of us on this one. Just it's, the three of it's us. It's very old school because that's how we started, man. Just the three of us out there on the road, man. What does a tour manager do? Besides make sure that things aren't horrible when you show up somewhere. Well, they make the initial contact with the venue and get all the information we need. Right. That was one of the main awesome things that ours does. And, and he's actually still doing that. He's handling the back end, like, email side of things and just getting me the information. And, uh, yeah, everything from knowing when to be there, where to park, you know, how long our set's going to be, is there food, is there beer. But can't he do that from an email? He Can't he? Yeah. Yes, he can do that. So he's he's still doing that for us. Yeah. But he was also on the road. He was selling merch. And, okay, that helps. Yeah. And lining up hotels and doing yeah. a lot of that crap. Yeah. And with the three of us, just having a fourth person, you know, is good. Because three people, it's like yeah, it's dysfunctional family. Three hands. It's like having that one extra hand on deck. Yeah. You know? Can you describe where we are right now? <laughs> We are in a really, really nice hotel bathroom. It's sort of like the the suite, like side room of the bathroom in a way. You're right. Yeah, this is a, a divided bathroom, uh, and so we're in like the beauty area with the sink and everything. But there's, it's tough because there's no door to this part. You know, it's just kind of this other area. Yeah, we're uh, at this festival called the Bender Jamboree. It's at the Plaza Hotel in Las Vegas. And uh, there's a pool set going on down below us, 16 floors below, which you played. Yeah. And you got a lot of sun. Yeah, I'm, I'm noticing now. Wow, I did. <laughs> and, uh, Just enough. If you, hear, if you hear some, some bass and, and drums, it's, it's the band Fruition <laughs> rocking out 16 floors below us. Um, and we put a, a little mattress in front of the door here. And we're just going to roll. So uh, you guys drove out here. And how long have you been doing this full-time? I started playing music full-time um, probably in 2005. So I guess it's been, what is that, 13, 13 years now? Yeah. yeah. And that was uh, with the, with bands. You know, I was in a handful of bands uh, up until about five years ago when we started doing the trio primarily full-time. John Stickley Trio is the main group that you guys are doing. And who, who are the other folks in the band with you? Right now we've got um, Lindsay Pruitt on the violin, and she's been there pretty much since day one. It was kind of a shared fiddle gig for a while there when we were just getting going, you know. Um, and then Hunter Deacon from Knoxville, Tennessee, is our newest member. He joined up with us in uh, January on drums. So you kind of exist in this sort of uh, undefined Americana roots, bluegrass, progressive rock world that is sort of including a lot of uh, genreless groups, I would say, which which is awesome. Um, but... I would, I'm sure you would say you're not a bluegrass band, but like my band, Dust Bowl Revival, we keep finding ourselves included in these bluegrass folk-centric festivals. Mm -hmm. um, 
do you feel like that's appropriate with the music you're playing now that's pretty out there or is it is it sort of uh you know it's all good yeah yeah i you know for us basically what got me into doing this full time was uh going to my first festivals and getting into bluegrass uh really the the picking side of things you know i went to a some small country festivals outside of uh, Durham, North Carolina, where I'm from. And um, it was really the jam circles and the jam scene that kind of hooked me, you know, and I wanted to play music. uh, And I found it really fun to play music in these really stimulating settings where there's all these other people you can learn from and um, just found it all like super welcoming. And, you know, everyone's trying to show you stuff and teach you how to play and, um, after years and years of being in that kind of world and joining, playing in bands that eventually played the festivals. And, um, we started this project just, just kind of as something maybe, you know, ex- it's experimental and it's bay. It comes from just that line out of the bluegrass jam circles late night. And, uh, some of the weird ideas we tried, those are some of those ideas that we tapped into at those late night jams are some of the foundational aspects of the trio's music, you know? And for people who don't know, the John Stickley trio is strictly instrumental, mostly. Yes? Strictly instrumental. Yeah. Which is kind of a unique, old-fashioned thing in a way, but also so old-fashioned, it's like avant-garde. So my question to you is, how do you keep audiences super engaged with instrumental music. Our band is more like, I'd say a jazz combo or something Mm -hmm. where, where for us, the most, the focal point is us playing the music. So the music is kind of like, you know, we've got our arrangements and we got our ups and downs, but there's a lot of space in there to be spontaneous and still improvise and go way out or keep it chill or do whatever you want. And so we're constantly listening to each other and feeding off each other and being in the moment. And that's what we try to really just get across to the crowd is that, dude, we're not up here just reciting memorized shit. Like we're doing music, even though, you know, we've played this song a million times now. It's the same song, but it's never the same way. What percentage of, of your music of each, you know, song is improvised, would you say? Um, it varies song to song. There, there's some tunes we play where it's almost the same every time. You know, it's more of a, an arranged piece. Right. And those kind of stay the same, whereas other tunes are a really loose structure. Like, you know, it's two chords. This long part is two chords, and this this next long part is two chords, and that's the song. In between there, you're doing all sorts of crazy stuff on those two chords, and we'll just see where it goes, you know? So that's almost a 90% improvisational. Yeah, I mean, you you have some pretty innovative uh, versions of songs that bluegrass pickers are familiar with, Jerusalem Ridge being one on your new uh, your newest release, which is Maybe Believe. Um, and, you know, there's times where it's like you fall into that kind of reverie of like, oh, yeah, I... I know this song, and then you're snapped out of it by, you guys are going in some weird, crazy direction. You know, there's almost an EDM, like, dance break at some point in that song, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you tell me how that 
interpretation of that traditional came to be? Yeah. So, you know, we like to still do a lot of that. Um, you know, we always, I guess the past few albums we've done, uh, one or two classic fiddle tunes. Um, and so, you know, we centered in on pretty quick on Jerusalem Ridge for this album, uh, just because it, it's a song. It's almost got like some of these elements like we have in our band. There's almost like parts that kind of are like metal or gypsy, you know, it's like if you speed it up a little bit, it's pretty freaking metal. And uh, so do you listen to metal? Not really. No, <laughs> I don't. Um, but I like to play things that sound a little bit like metal sometimes. Cool. Um, but it, with that song, you know, we just kind of like, okay, here's a song structure. It's there's the basic structure is four parts for each time through. So let's break it down and maybe we treat each little section of each part differently, you know, and see if we can make it flow without being weird and still be, you know, interesting to listen to. Yeah. And you release your, your music independently, right? Up to this point. Yes. Do you feel like you would like someone to come on board and, and, and bring you to a larger audience? Or do you feel like it's, it's enough to have your fans find you? I think when it's right, we do want to team up with more people. You know, I mean, as this is growing and the band's doing more and more stuff, the idea of the thought of funding, yeah, recording, and then releasing our, another record on our own. I hate the sound of that. Like I, so What's just your, the thought of that, it just, I'm like, no, we'll, we'll team up with whoever, just give us the money. We'll make the album. And then you take it and do whatever you want. Have you done the crowdfunding thing? We did that for our last two records and we had really successful, great campaigns that actually gave us a lot of momentum and encouragement and, you know, it boosted us in a lot of ways, but it's almost, Damn, it's a lot of work. Well, it's also like, how many times can you go to the well? Exactly. You know? Like, you know yeah, and, and I think, I almost don't think I would have a problem going to the well again because of how cool the actual experience was. Yeah. But it's just, man, dude. Whew. It's like, it's hard to say what, like, what is the end game for the John Stigley trio? Like, what is, like, the, the dream? Yeah, I, that's a really good point. I mean, we... I feel like this scene and and this style of music and because of the festivals that you can do it, you can make a living at it and you can do it your whole life and your whole career and have a good a good career. But we're in, you know, mainstream music or whatever, like rock, you know, or whatever you're doing. It's like it's either feast or it seems a lot more feast or famine. Whereas we're like just making an honest living over here, you know, going from gig to gig. Um, so the end game for us, I would say, would be to basically get, you know, play. We're kind of already. I know the that's game, the thing. Honestly. It's like, like that's the thing. It's like it's almost like we all have the ambition. I think of being in a better place, but you're also like. We're not in a terrible place now. It's just like we'd like to make a little more money, yeah, and play a little better places, and yeah. have a little more people show up. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing is that you know people, even people within my own band, will be like, 
you shouldn't say that. Like, you know, we should be like, we should play like Madison Square Garden someday. I was like, I don't want to play it almost. You know, it's like, I don't care about that. Right. I, I just want 500 to 1,000 people to show up wherever I go and any day of the week. Yeah, right? I think I'm kind of with you on that, man. And, and, you know, shit, man. If we end up selling out Red Rocks, that sounds good to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm in. Sure. But, uh, but there's bands in this sort of uh, hinterland of the Americana root system that can sell out Red Rocks that people within, with you know, outside of our circle have no idea who they are. Yeah, that's you know? true. Yeah. Which is fascinating. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a special place, man. It, I, 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 I'd venture to say I wouldn't be a professional musician right now if I was not in this world. What was the first band that you ever played in? Oh man, we started having bands pretty young. Um, my neighbor, my the kids in my neighborhood, we uh, started forming bands uh, probably around twelve years old in middle school, um, and I think our first one was called Bistro, the Bistro Illegal. That's um, a very specific name. The Bistro Illegal. I don't think it meant anything, right? Maybe someone read it in a book or magazine or just combined the words, but um, it was a, awesome. We got four-track tapes of it, and then after that, we made Strunk and White, which is a pun on uh, the book Strunk and, Wh- Strunk and White. It's, a, um, it's like an English grammar guide for your writing, Yeah, and we were using it in high school, and we had this really actually awesome English teacher who got us all like stoked on literature and stuff. And so we decided to name the band Strunken White. That's funny. And we actually did that. We got records on Spotify. Yeah. And we did that uh, all through high school and into college. So can you tell me, since we're in a weird hotel bathroom right now, what is the scariest hotel you've been in? Hmm. Roadway Inn. Definitely a roadway in. Uh, They're always the cheapest, aren't they? Oh, they are. I think it was like side of the road, Missouri or something. It was just one of those midpoints on a long haul. Mm. And uh, the first room, it was, I guess it had been water damaged, but they had, it was just like I walked in, the carpet's completely soaked and they've got like industrial fans <laughs> blowing in the room, just all over the place, as if it's like... And they gave you the good. keys, they're like, oh, this is going to be... Yeah, so, fun. you know, then I turned around. Oh, and so, anyway, I ended up next door, and it, it smelled just as bad. It just didn't have the fans. Um. So, but then another one, I actually had the bad experience of... Um, this was after a Jeff Austin run. Uh, where did we end? It was might have been D.C. And... Uh, I had the bad experience of when they give you the key to a room and they tell you a room that's already occupied yeah. and you're getting there at like, you know, it was 2 AM mm-hmm. in kind of a, just kind of a sketchy hotel. And I'm sitting there, I'm just ramming my car key key in over and over again, cussing. I'm like, man, the, the guy didn't know what he was doing, man. And then all of a sudden that door just flies open and it's like a huge scary looking guy <laughs> and he thinks you've been sitting here working on trying to break into the room. Yeah. It's just a horrible experience. What, what did you say to him? Uh, I think I just profusely apologized and ran away. <laughs> yeah. 
the uh, but that's a bad one, man. I don't know if that's happened to you, but yeah, that well, sucks. There was one where we opened the door and there were like just people passed out. Like they were like they were clearly on some serious drugs. Yeah, and there was no like confrontation because they were just like, oh. uh, you're like, wow, oh, man, you know. I just stepped into your life for a second. Yeah, and it's not pretty. So the earlier records that you did, uh, Lost at Last, uh, that was 2015, and your self-titled one. Yeah. 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to that uh, Tico Tico, which I which was really fun to listen to. Is that is that a traditional or is that Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, Brazilian. Yeah. Choro. Uh, we actually played that today. Oh, shit. Um, but yeah, that was a early Lindsay influence, you know. I mean, she's she's way into like Latin gypsy fiddle, and uh, she's recorded that on she recorded that on her first solo album. So we were putting that original Stickly Trio record together, and I was just like, "Can we do Tico Tico?" And she was like, "I just did it," and I was like, "I know, but I don't want to do it too." And she was like, "All right." How does a song in this new trio format like start? Do you come up with the arrangements or do you guys pool your ideas? It's really it's really grown over time the way we did that. Um, I was, you know, the, the earliest music started as tunes that I had written, normally kind of like fiddle tunes, instrumentals. Um, and then, you know, we would come up with a different rhythm for it. You know, we one of our main... We had a tenant early on that was to not play the bluegrass train beat on drums at all. We eventually got rid of that and started doing it some cause it's fun. But, uh, we were like, man, you know, none of us had ever liked drums and bluegrass are. And cause we were very bluegrass early on. And then we brought the drummer in the rhythms were fun, but I was like, man, I've never, I did not ever think I would be in like a bluegrass band with drums. Cause I've always been kind of against that. And, uh, so then we were like, all right, well, at least we won't do the typical train beat bluegrass drum beat. Let's do different beats. So that got us kind of down the road. And so we take a song. It's like, uh, let's put a halftime groove on it. And then, uh, you know, I'll play like kind of a ska rhythm instead of, you know, bluegrass backbeat or something. And that, that would be the basic gist of a new tune. Now, we've gotten a lot more collaborative and creative with the writing. And, you know, usually I'll start with a simple seed of an idea and, um, send out a demo of it to the band. And I'll even play like a little thing on mandolin that I'm like, Hey, Lindsay, this, this could be like the fiddle part or the fiddle part could be something like this or not. And, uh, here's what I'm kind of thinking about some beats. I'll do some like beats on my iPad and, uh, they'll take that internalize it kind of get familiarize themselves with the melody and then we get together and arrange it as a group do you record stuff like on your phone all the time that's that's how i do it man like on the road when i have an idea record it on the phone and it usually takes me a long time to flesh songs out like it'll take basically we have to book the studio time because like then when i book the studio time that gives me the motivation to put these ideas into songs, you know, flesh them out and go through all those notes, you know. Do you wake up in the middle of the night with ideas? 
Uh, I do wake up in the middle of the night, but I'm re- I never make notes when I'm supposed when I should. Because it, it disappears almost. Right? Oh, it and does. It... I know I've lost way more than I've ever captured for sure. And so, yeah, I'd love to get better at that. I'm curious, actually, yeah, because if, you know, when I'm writing a song, I'm thinking a phrase or a, a storyline or a character. Yeah. And, and then the chords and stuff are secondary or and they kind of flesh out the story. Uh-huh. But an instrumentalist right. like you, yeah. right, is it like I'm thinking... <laughs> of a, a G minor into an augmented chord. Is it like like are you seeing chords in your ideas, uh, or yeah. is it or is it like is it a line that you heard somewhere else that you're like I want to twist that around and do something? It would be more like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, like I can basically. Every song I've ever written, I can sh- show you the source material that I ripped off to make that song. You know, like songs I hear will give me an idea for a type of song I want to write. Like, what did I write? I wrote down the other day um, Fleet Foxes, uh, what is it, Winter Hymnal, yeah. that song, their mm-hmm. biggest song. I wrote that song title down because I liked the chord, I loved the way the chords build. Like that ascending chord motion there to that climax and resolution. Um, I was like, that would be a cool thing to do with a, a trio tune, and it wouldn't be the same chords. It would just be a, something that followed that similar motion of the way those chords modulate up and up and up, and then come back around. Is there a song that you did that with recently? No, I haven't done it yet. I just wrote the name of that Fleet Foxes song down. Um, but yeah, there's like a song on the on that Play People uh, on the new album um, that was like kind of inspired by like a Blink One Eighty Two drum beat that I heard on their new record, Travis Barker. I think it's called Los Angeles. Is it Blink One Eighty Two? Is that a, a guilty pleasure thing that you love? <laughs> what is a guilty pleasure band that you? Listen to? Uh, I would say Blink One Eighty Two might be a guilty pleasure band because yeah, they're they're one of the ones I don't go around telling everybody that I'm a, a big Blink One Eighty Two fan. Yeah, I mean, every now and then I'm like, I'm gonna listen to some Blink One Eighty Two, and I like it, but they're not one of my mainstay punk bands that I listen to. I listen to a lot of punk from that like period, but. Uh, I, when they put out the new album and it was like, I was hearing it on the radio. I was like, I at least got to go check this out. And, uh, some of the production and, and that drumming on there, man, it's just insane. What is your favorite conspiracy theory? Oh gosh. Um, zeitgeist. <laughs> Have you seen that? No, <laughs> it's not a conspiracy theory, but it's just a, a short movie that went viral a few years back, Zeitgeist. And it basically opens your eyes to all the connections and the power play and the control between it's like it does the church, Wall Street, and like the government. I, I don't know. It just has it been proven to I be? I haven't seen it in a while, but it really had a big effect on me. Has it been proven to be false? Like, has it been. Snooked. No, no. I think there's more. It's more true than false. I think it's pretty much true. Did you grow up religious? I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up Southern Baptist. Went to church a lot. 
um, and I always totally dug it. I was I actually had a a big kind of religious experience in college and got really back into like Campus Crusade for Christ and where'd you um, go to college? NC State in North, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Wolfpack. Wolfpack. Go pack. Um, was there a lot so, of music yeah. in, was it the music sort of prevalent in your church? Definitely. And I would say the music had a big of, of impact on me. Um, hymns, you know, I always liked singing hymns and I was like the kid at choir practice, youth choir who was like actually enjoying it. You know, I wasn't that great and I wasn't a soloist or anything, but I liked following apart and hearing the harmonies move, man. And like, Everything from traditional hymns to contemporary Christian uh, praise songs, you know, I just I dug that stuff and still do actually. Um, but yeah, it was I was actually uh, after college, I was either going to be a missionary for the summer or go join a bluegrass band in Colorado. And I went I went back and forth on that for a really long time, up to the point where the mission organization. Oh, yeah. gave me my final um, call and they were like and I was at a gig at the time with my college bluegrass band and uh, they were like well we, we'd like to know right now you know how you feel and I was just like I gotta go to Colorado and join a bluegrass band sorry music's the religion now sorry <laughs> yeah. what did your parents say oh uh, they're cool man yeah they're they're they never were like strict religious folks, you know. Um, but yeah, I, unlike a lot of people who aren't super practicing religious right now, I have really like good f- memories and associations with um, my religious background. Yeah, and you know, it was it was evangelical. You know, we did mission trips and mission work, but it was it was always more centered on, you know, helping the community and stuff. And, uh, they, our pastors never got really, never got political, you know, they kept it straight up. You know, they didn't talk bad about other things. They just, it was just like, dude, your relationship with God and here we're a family and everything's cool. If God appeared in this hotel bathroom right now, what do you think? he she it would look like that's that's tough dude uh, yeah it's probably like del mccurry maybe <laughs> more like grisman maybe grisman <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah grisman i mean poof. father of it all man and as far as the music that we play i'd say it's a, came straight if music is my religion then david grisman is god and Tony Rice is um, the Holy Spirit. Is Satan? Oh, and they just they okay. duel, you know, and it's what keeps the world going around. All right, I didn't realize there was that intense of a rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> and the polar opposites just keep the world spinning round, man. I mean, yeah, there is an interesting extension of the Grateful Dead uh, sort of family that has created this Americana world. In, in music, I agree. Right? Even yes. though that, you know... Post-dead. It's not like anyone has to cover or reference the dead, but it's the idea that acoustic music can be experimental and 
improvisational and and then also go into electric and go back to acoustic. It's like sort of yeah. not one thing. It's like fluid. Yeah, and musically and and the community aspect of it. Like the fact that there are groups of people that are called the fruity freaks of the universe and they are obsessed with fruition and they go on fruition tour. Uh Green Sky, the, all these bands have deadheads. Their own types of deadheads. And then the festivals, you know, kind of have their own thing too where like you've got people that have been going to this festival since 1974 and they've been there every year and they're famous at the festival. Who is the typical John Stickley Trio fan? Dude, we I got to say I don't know that we have a typical fan. We ha- we have a broad fan base. It's small, but it's broad and it's awesome. But we have like kids are way into our band. When kids hear our band, they really like it. And a lot of my friends have kids and they like because it's a little bit punk rock. They they like to listen to it like in the car. I'm talking about like two and three year olds. Oh really? Yeah. We've got like three year old, two year old fans. And but then we've got old, old, old fans too. And not necessarily very forward thinking musical people. Like we opened up for Ricky Skaggs and Kentucky Thunder one time. And uh what my favorite response at the end of the show was I don't know what it was, but I liked it. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's the best kind of I response. I was like, dude, this is so cool. Because we were a little scared. I mean, this was in Greensboro, North Carolina, at a theater. You know, it wasn't even like a club. Uh, and it was all old people. And it was whenever great, you know? Well, you, you're you connected to a lot of these groups as a, you know, a guitar slinger who can kind of shape shift in and out of different bands. And, you know, uh, you've sat in with my band, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where guys like Billy strings, obviously, who's a young buck coming up and, and people who are the next generation of guitar hero, but on acoustic, which is interesting. You know, I think that there's, uh, something about the honesty of an acoustic guitar that, it's almost more difficult to convey like into shred, you know, because it's, it's not like you're doing all sorts of effects on your guitar. Right. It's like, it's you and your fingers and you're going for it. And that's the sound. And that's the style. That's the style that we're coming out of. I mean, Billy strings, you know, and I think about the way I play and the way Billy plays and the style of flat picking itself Brian Sutton's right when he says Doc Watson might be the main guy because the first person to play those clear, clear notes with loud volume, you know, loud enough that he would play fiddle tunes, tune leads for dances unplugged, you know, and no one did that. There's so much physicality and it's just, dude, it's, it's crazy. It's a crazy style of it, it's so physical. It's almost like if you do it wrong, you can really hurt yourself. I mean, it's like a sport or something. And I was talking about to Billy about this earlier because, you know, he's 
he plays with a level of intensity that reminds me of me when I was his age. <laughs> and it wasn't long after that I was that age that I had to take a step back and kind of redefine my approach and my my style of playing to not not end up hurting myself, you know. Yeah, um, people can get super injured. Oh, there's all sorts of stuff they can. So, you, but there's a point where you realize you can't do mind over matter. Like, actually, mind over matter can can really help you, but you have to take a step back, and you can't just you can't just um, you know muscle your way through this for the rest of your life. Like you're, you know, you're 25. Have you gotten seriously hurt in anything? Have you broken any bones? Uh, I've got, I've had knee problems. I've got, uh, had some knee injuries and knee surgeries that kind of keep me super mellow right now. But, um, I, during, when I was like 25, I was having like tendonitis in my forearms and pain in my wrists and, um, well, it's like a, like a pitcher. It's like if you're throwing 90 miles per hour from when you're 14 on, yeah. there's only so much here. And I had just been rocking and rocking and playing with banjo and playing lead guitar in a bluegrass band on a mic, you know? And after, you know, I got a chance to take a month off and I did a lot of um, reading and uh, basically reapproached the instrument with a completely different take i'm like dude okay we're not fighting anymore like we're just gonna yeah we're just gonna do what i can do and we're gonna start back slow and i'm never gonna do more than my body can handle you know and and i still do quite a bit you know i'll definitely push it over the limit for fun but yeah it's a totally just new approach man and and that was a big big game changer for me around around that age do you find that when you're really in the zone, when you're, you know, going into a, a solo that is extending and extending, do you feel like you're sort of lifting off the stage or are you, is it an out of body experience or are you fully in, <laughs> in your body when you're playing? I'm I like curious. to drift off. I like to close my eyes and drift off. I, I do. But, uh, it's a, I like to start to forget that I'm on stage in front of people and just feel like I'm more just in a safe place in the dark in a cave or some or some other place in a cave yeah some other place where I'm just jamming by myself like or in my house you know I could just be in my house playing this along to a backup track and uh, do you feel comfortable on moments. stage or do you re- or do you feel com- more comfortable playing by yourself uh, stage comfort for me is, uh, I'd say it's a challenge, you know, and if I'm cool and conscious and, you know, if I work hard, I can be cool and comfortable, but it takes work for me. You know, I'm, I'm like, I think I'm good at guitar because there were, you know, a lot of time when other people were out being social, I was playing my guitar in my room, having a ball by myself. Um, so ten thousand hours. That introverted energy is a little tough for me on stage, you know. But uh, you know, it's like for me, it's a skill. Like fronting a band, you know, talking on the mic, smiling, <laughs> you know, smiling and moving around. It's like 
I have to remember to do that stuff. Otherwise, I'll just be looking down at my guitar, like, or just turning around looking at the drummer. You know, like. <laughs> There's times where, <clears throat> in the middle of a song, I'll actually mess up a chord or something because I'm thinking about the next banter joke to say. Yeah. Totally. To the audience, and then you're like, wait. It's like a it's like a second baseman who's going for the grounder a little bit too quickly, and then it bounces over his head, <laughs> you know. And you're like, no, no, yeah. you got to actually finish the song so you can make the joke about the song. Exactly, you got to. You don't want that note to get lost, man. You got to make that note. The front man thing, it's 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 a science, it's an art. I mean, and it comes naturally for some people, but you can learn it, right? And as as someone who me, I'm not good at it, like. My one of my biggest downfalls early on was sarcasm, like self-deprecating or really kind of awkward sarcasm. Like Lindsay, just like over there, just she's like just cringing at the stuff that I would say on the mic, you know, and jokes that I thought were hilarious, and she's like, dude, like average audience member does not get that what was a joke that really bombed uh one of the one of the things i was doing recently actually that we decided that basically was told to stop was um there's a moment where i'll take a long extended kind of solo guitar solo i'll play like a little bit of a bluegrass tune and do some harmonics kind of a segue leading into a song I, during the middle of that, I would like work my way all the way up to the high strings. And then I would just start doing these like kind of over the top, like BB King, like blues licks. And uh-huh. then like start like making that face, you know, that like, Oh yeah. Like the rock guitar player cliche face, which is so unlike you. To, yeah. And I know that. Right. And so I would just like, it would just break down and I would just do that. And like, I'm cracking up on the inside and, uh, even my own bandmates didn't know I was kidding. You know, they're, they're like, they're like, that's just a little much when you do that. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, you don't get that. That like, I'm just like making fun of a, a butt rock guitar player right there. And they're like, no. And I'm like, are you telling me the audience doesn't get that either? And they're like, no, the audience definitely doesn't get it. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh man. So stuff like that. I mean, that, that was my, the, one of the first things I had to stop, kind of stop doing and be like, okay, look, yeah. I'm I'm an art I'm, I'm an entertainer I'm an artist on stage it it is like as if it's a play or something you know and you're up there and you're taking them on a ride and these moments where you just break character and do something it can work when it works but it's kind of better to keep the dream alive I think who was your guitar hero when you were a kid or who did you uh I, I gotta say T- Tony Rice by far big, Satan? biggest influence yes Bluegrass Satan um, he's the man dude like style style is important and he's got style if you could play any venue in the country what would it be I've been asked that and they said uh, they they prefaced it with besides Red Rocks <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I mean, golly, it could be Red man, Red Rock, Red Rocks would be cool. I think one of those, probably a hall, you know, like not probably maybe Carnegie Hall or, but one of those halls that's like a big. 
theater where you don't need amplification. You're not going to be going through like, I kind of picture Red Rocks as like a typical festival where it's just blasting through big speakers in a beautiful place. But one of those, those halls, man, maybe it's in Europe, maybe it's in Eastern Europe, you know, the, uh, the opera house in Prague. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Where, where Mozart would premiere his, his, uh, his pieces. I remember going in there, and it's like gold, like like five balconies. And That'll just work. Like shimmering gold, and yeah. it's just like man. Yeah, that's the place. And it's been there for like six hundred years. Yeah, and it looks brand new. You know, gorgeous settings are all always amazing, but when the sounds epic too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So often they don't really go together. Like. We're, you're playing on top of the mountain, ski mountain at Tahoe. We only could, we only had a couple channels for the PA up there, but <laughs> you know, it was the most beautiful place I've ever played. Are you excited to uh, play some festivals this summer? I am extremely excited. That's what we live for. Which, uh, which are your favorite festivals right now? We've always been partial to anything that takes place at. Spirit of the Swanee Music Park. Um, Is that in Florida? Yep, and primarily the ones they do in the spring, the spring and fall reunion, but also Halloween. But uh, they were one of the first people to hire us, and Lindsay's got a lot of Lindsay's from Florida, so it has a lot of connections down there, and we're just t- tied to that site, man. You know, it's just got such powerful energy for us, so that's always our top festival. Do you feel like? When you you tour the South probably more than uh, a lot of bands, is there a feeling that you're hopping from Blue Dot to Blue Dot, or or do you feel like you're going into we, rebel territory at times? No, we we play some Red Dots, you know, and uh, yeah. You know, having grown up in the South and and done this for a long time in that region, yeah, I've I've played some really red spots, um, and and kind of still do. It's like we because people know who we are from bluegrass, and you know, when I was in Town Mountain playing traditional bluegrass festivals, we'll find ourselves in some pretty pretty bluegrass country. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we're always that weird band that everyone like. You know finds interesting <laughs> what is that guitar you got there this is a griggs, griggs. Uh, made my by my friend james griggs in chapel hill and uh this is, I think this is number 10 all right so we're gonna start with a little stream of consciousness and instead of <laughs> how we normally do it with people saying what they're thinking yeah. you're gonna we're gonna play what you're all thinking right. so i'm gonna say treetop Cliff's Edge. Mother's Hands. 
punishment. entire album like this all right last one spanish morning to Barcelona when I go in a couple weeks. All right. We're here with John Stickley, and he's going to finish off with an instrumental acoustic number for us. What's it called? A little bit of this one called Blackburn Brothers. All right. Bathrooms with mattresses covering the door. You know, it's it's an ideal recording environment. Mm-hmm. I'll see you by the pool. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> there he goes, John Stickley. I want to thank John for his patience. Um, you know, it took a little while to get this episode out, uh, and I ran into him in a hot tub recently, and he was like, dude, is that episode we recorded going to come out, or did I just, like, sit in a bathroom with you for two hours behind a mattress for nothing so I hope 
the patience was rewarded, John. And uh, if you ever want to know what's going on in this show and what's to come, go to the Instagram handle, uh, the Show on the Road podcast. It's where I post all the recordings and all the interviews, little sneak peeks of the songs the artists are premiering for us. Sometimes we'll have people like Gabby Moreno reading short stories to us or uh, folks like Raylan Baxter telling me about his weirdest dream he had recently uh, when he was pregnant with a lizard baby. So, you know, there's things that you could find on there that you might dig. Show on the Road podcast on Instagram. I forgot to tell you, if you go to thebluegrasssituation.com, you can find all sorts of cool articles about John Stickley and his trio throughout the years, uh, including my favorite, which was an interview talking about his healthy fear of child prodigies. Uh, And John, I know you're still coming up with a name for the title of your new record, Healthy Fear of Child Prodigies. Could be a good one, just saying. Last but not least, my gang, Dust Bowl Revival, will be playing some cool festivals coming up uh, May 24th in Grass Valley, California, playing Strawberry Fest, and then uh, May 26th at Bottle Rock in Napa, and then June 1st at the Redwood Mountain Fair near Santa Cruz. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love the show on the road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends, and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the bluegrasssituation.com. The show on the road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubiton. See you on the trail. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.